Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, Cape Cod. It's high noon on Wednesday. Time to get together for a little chat on A Life with Gwen. And uh, you can watch us here on Facebook, which you probably are, or you can tell your friends who miss the show that they can catch them on capecodtimes.com slash lifewithgwen. And if you want to listen in your car, just add pad- podcast. Oh, I hope this isn't going to be a half-hour thing today. <laughs> podcast to, um, to the end of that address, and you'll get it in the car. So today I have brought you guys a really fun guest, and some of you may know her because she's involved in Oh, everything on the Cape. <laughs> and with us today is Christine Rathbun Ernst. Christine, I'm so glad you could make it. I'm happy to be here, Gwen. Thanks so, for asking. Um, Christine has a one-woman show that she's performed many times and, and uh, a new show that comes out each year. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say this really quickly because this is what she named the show. Fattest Cancer Bitch. Did you get that? <laughs> okay. F-A-C-B. That's right. We want you to get it and not uh, the folks at Facebook because we probably shouldn't use those words. Um, but anyhow, uh, so I know that you do a series, a new show each each summer, mm-hmm, and you do a whole lot of other things. I do. I'm, I'm a writer. Um, I'm also the director of education, grants, and outreach at Katoot Center for the Arts. Um, I also teach a class there. I co-host an open mic there. Um, I am a mother of two, um, wife of one. Um, <laughs> my parents live two doors away from me, and 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 we were were beginning to do some caretaking. And um, um, I'm a I'm a fair cook and a fierce friend. That sounds wonderful. And doesn't that sound really Cape Coddy, guys? Because I think, you know, more than half of us are, are out there working more than one job, doing uh, community things in a lot of venues. So, um, And you, you didn't mention it, but I know you also have a lot of activism that you causes that you support, things that come up in your shows. I do. There's a lot of politics in my, in my work, in my speaking. I try to make it funny, so make it accessible. So no one leaves. Uh, hopefully. Um, but there's no intermission, so um, if you leave. Smart woman. I know who you are. <laughs> no intermission. You can't get away at, at halftime. So um, that actually is how I first met you, Christine. And I use the word met loosely because um, I was in the audience, the mm-hmm. standing room only audience at to it, and you were doing a show. You mm-hmm. were doing your 50th uh, birthday show. It was, yes, 50's a bitch was the name of that one, I think. Yep. Oh, sorry. Again with the words, but... Uh, <laughs> He's a B word. Anyway, just taking those words back, you know, making yes. them part of your power. Oh, yeah. My neighbor called me that a long time ago. Um, I did have cancer 18 years ago, and five years after I was finished with cancer, my neighbor was angry at me and called me that. Um, to be fair... Uh, called you that whole name. That, that whole, those four words, uh-huh. F-A-C-B. Um, her dog, her great Dane used to poop in my yard. Um, I used to deliver those poops to her driveway where they, I felt they belonged. And she was waiting for me one day and she called me an FACB. Yeah. It was a time <laughs> of my life though, where people were still identifying me as a survivor from cancer, mm. even though I was so done with cancer and I hated the notion of survivor. Like I was wounded. Mm-hmm. So that asked, mm-hmm, 
um, FACB was more was powerful. I could hang my hat on it, and it was funny, and it was an icebreaker, and it was like the worst thing anyone could ever say to me. So, the fact that I said it to myself and and took it as a brand. Um, was significant and important and life-changing. I was always curious as to whether that was something that had a, a an incident behind oh, it, you know? Yep. And the only thing I, I couldn't have imagined is that that incident involved a Great Dane. So. <laughs> well, and a landmine-sized si uh, disc of poop in my yard. Um, I, my yard was was ruined. So All right, so if you're at Christine's, don't let the dog poop because you'll dog on a leash. be getting in a little baggie on <laughs> the way out. Oh, no baggie. <laughs> no baggie. <laughs> nope. I'll fling it at you with my snow shovel. <laughs> She's fierce. She really is. So let's talk a little bit. Um, one of the things that, that struck me most, and if you read the review from those days, um, one of the things that struck me most about seeing your show for the first time was that I was expecting it to be funny, mm -hmm. but I wasn't expecting it to to make me cry at one point, you know? Um, so you're not just doing jokes, you're you're doing something that, that brings together um, a lot more. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what your goal is when you set out to, to, to write the show. I'm always trying to find the humor in the difficult topic, mostly to explain it to myself. And it started uh, 18 years ago when I was sick, I needed to understand cancer in a way that would help me get through that experience. I was a single mother with a six-year-old daughter um, whose first response to my telling her that I had to have a mastectomy was, that's okay, mommy, I finished nursing a long time ago. <laughs> I love a practical child. <laughs> she was very practical, but it also set the tone. And we found a lot of humorous moments um, in that experience. And I'd always wanted to be a writer, and I ended up writing the story that I needed that I needed to read or hear when I was first diagnosed. And I felt it could be a tool for other women who were diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, it turned into something much bigger. It, it turned into um, a, a narrative of my life, but also a distillation of what's happening to me in the world. And of course, that changes every year when you mm -hmm. update the show. Oh, it's, it's, you still have the basics that that uh, in terms of your dealing with cancer, or has well, it can, uh, cancer moved gets on? smaller? Mm -hmm. um, and and now when I write about cancer, it's often about a good friend mm -hmm. um, or someone else's experience of cancer who happens to be in my life. And um, I'm trying to be, I, I write about the importance of paying it forward, the importance of of your own story in the world, releasing your story, sharing your story. If you can, if, if someone else can hear their own story and your story, mm -hmm. that is such a vital connection and that is such good medicine. We have that in common because, you know, as a, as a writer, when we share people's stories, we're hoping that it will um, open uh, other people's eyes. It will uh, offer a sense of kinship. Mm -hmm. It may, um, um, we're not so much in the business of promoting change, but of telling the stories of people who are, mm -hmm. you know, so, so we oh, kind of have just, that in common. Just telling the story promotes change. And you have no idea where your story goes. That's true. You have no idea what your sentence or your words or, or your funny anecdote, where that will land and how it will change someone. You have no, you, I, I, I have a great story about a friend who, um, she, she writes poetry and she frames it against a lovely photograph and she sells them at gift shops around New England. And she got a fan letter from someone out in Minnesota who said, your poem hangs in my bathroom 
and I read it every day, and it has changed my life. Wow. You, and, and it, it's, a, it's a perfect example of what your story might do. And you just have to trust that your own story, speaking your own story, being brave about speaking your story, that that will have a beneficial impact somewhere along the line. And of course, there's the part about being funny. I was <laughs> telling Christine that when I was widowed six years ago, one of the things I miss most in life is not having someone who will laugh mm -hmm. at you, mm -hmm. with you, you know, who won't make jokes. you laugh, uh -huh. you, you know, or so. Even if you're not funny, yeah. we'll laugh. <laughs> I'm funny. I tell the kids all the time. I, I actually, from about 12 years ago, have a, a piece of wood, a plaque that says I'm funny mm -hmm. for humor's oh, you are humor column. Thank you. Good. She can stay now. She doesn't have to sneak out at halftime. Um, but, uh, you know, because it seems like the chance to laugh at ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. at the world is, is such a, a wonderful gift mm -hmm. and maybe oh, people, it's critical. Yeah. It's don't critical. always realize. Oh, pe people take, sometimes take their stories so seriously and, and there's such gravitas and, um, humor is the only way to break through. And if you can speak about your own experience, um, and laugh at yourself, um, mm -hmm. which is why I call myself the FACB. Like, man, if she's calling herself the FACB, then it's a, it's a good lead-in. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I bet there's some more funny stuff there. Um, and fierce stuff. Uh, and fierce. Well, and I did sure. want to say congratulations to you and everyone else who has beat cancer in those 18 years. Uh -huh. uh, and, and, you know, it seems to me that maybe you want to take the shovel that I'm presuming you used mm -hmm. on the Great Dane mm -hmm. and uh, just kick cancer to the curb, oh, too. I wish, I wish. Well, yeah. One in about seven women these days, breast cancer still. Um, survival rates are, are better, but not cure rates. So um, we're making strides, but it's something that that boot will always be on your neck. Um, and and everyone, if, gosh, one in seven women, if, if you know 70 women, you know 10 women with breast cancer or who mm -hmm. will get breast cancer. So... And I know that work continues. We had, uh, um, we've had guests over the two years we've been doing this who have been working on, on uh, raising money for cancer research mm -hmm. and, and that the work continues in all of those little strings that are really not so little because they're going to become the tapestry mm -hmm. that, that gets mm -hmm. rid of this disease or whatever disease, you know, people are, are working on, mm -hmm. whatever their, their passion is. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me a little bit about your life here. Have, are you a, a native Cape Codder? Alas, no. Um, we vacationed here in Cape Cod as, when I was a child, and I hated it. And I moved here in 89 for a job. Um, oh, a horrible little little naughty pine cottages filled with ants and, and drunken relatives. Um, but um, in 89, I moved here uh, for a job. And I told my friends in Boston that um, I complained that it was a long walk to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't until my older daughter was born in 95 that I understood that it was actually a kind of paradise. Um, so um, I'm a wash ashore. Uh, Some of those wash ashores uh, just, you know, develop slowly. <laughs> so. so I have a, I, I live in, um, in Sandwich. Um, I, I love my tiny home. Um, we have, I, I have a little studio where I hammer, I make, oh, I make jewelry too. That's another, oh, right. another side mm -hmm. business. I remember that from the show. Uh-huh. I hammer, I every woman should have an anvil and a set of hammers. Um, it's great therapy. And um, I hammer poetry into metal. So um, others, that's another way of distributing the story. 
Excellent. Um, and speaking of people's stories, you actually are involved in a couple of uh, um, methods where where people can come with their story and 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 figure out how to get it you out. Have to so. come to my open mic, Salon of Shorts at Katu Center for the Arts, the third Wednesday of every month, seven thirty. It's a seven o'clock sign up. There's wine. Um, it's Which a, must help a lot. It does. It does. It's um. It's always a welcoming house. Um. It's five minutes at the mic. How how bad could it be? We have had um an Elvis impersonator. We had um an interpretive dancer. We've had musicians. It's mostly poetry and story, personal essay. We mm -hmm. encourage original work. You can come and read your favorite poem if you want, as long as it's not longer than five minutes. We do actually have a hook, but um we we start to sharpen pencils if you go on too long. So, and we rarely have to do that. Good to know. It could make you afraid of the sound of sharpening pencils, <laughs> which sounds like the only real drawback here. But, you know, I am a, um, um, a huge fan of, of personal stories. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, our producer, Patty, had passed on a, um, a radio piece that her, her niece did. And it, it just, it's amazing. It's about her hair mm -hmm. and uh, how it was always long. So she wondered about her identity when she watched her, her hair coming off, you know, for the first time. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, a story like that, you never think about it, but who hasn't had that experience, you know? Mm. So it's really simple stuff. Stories, like the, the most important stuff happens in line at the supermarket. It doesn't happen when you're in the cathedral, when you're looking for the rainbow. It happens in the most mundane circumstances. And when I was sick, I, I set out, I'm, I will write the great important story. And I ended up writing about having to shave my legs when I was on chemo. Like, like what a, what a ripoff. What, I can't believe. But it was, it was the most, it was granular minutia that, that was what was most compelling. But also what people could relate to. And what was funny. Right, because how many of us will win a Nobel, you know? I, I don't know. <laughs> Quint, we're, we, we, could, we have like 30 years anyways. <laughs> I'll get started on that, Christine. <laughs> it, uh, I was kind of making the point that, that those are the things that people share in common. Mm -hmm. And whether they're sharing them by, by coming and telling the story mm -hmm. at the, tell me the, the time again. Uh, Salon of Shorts, third Wednesday of every month at Katua Center for the Arts in the art studio. At what time? 7.30. At 7.30. Yeah. And uh, if you want to become more comfortable with your story, you also have a class, right? I teach a class. What's your story, Morning Glory? I've been at it for seven years at the center, but um, in some form or other for over almost almost 15 years. Um, uh, it's a writing gym. It's not a class. I facilitate a gym only for women. Um, it's 9 to 11. We say every damn Saturday um, <laughs> in the schoolhouse at Kituit Center for the Arts. Um, it is never not wonderful and it is uh the anchor of my week and a lot of a lot of the women in the class um and, and it's rotating you can drop in you can you can come every week you can come twice a year it is never not funny and moving and um illuminating women writing story and sharing story so you learn from other people and you you also maybe get more comfortable with with putting your own story into words mm -hmm. in case you then want to you know whether you want to tell one person mm -hmm. or or a hundred or a thousand, mm -hmm. you know? Um, many, many of those writers come to Salon of Shorts, um, develop their work into something larger, more performative. Um, it's, but it's not, it's, 
it's for it's just for women it's not for writers in particular it's for it's for we all have a story oh and, absolutely and eliciting that story when you, and, and so many women come and think oh I, my story's not important or I don't do anything interesting I have nothing to write about everyone is waiting for their big giant story to occur to them so they can put it in one of those 15 blank books they've been collecting for a decade waiting for the giant story to occur that will be worthy enough of putting to paper but something happened to you this morning that is worthy of putting on paper the story you told me this morning about sleeping in or or, or, <laughs> or deep conditioning your hair that's a good story and women can relate to it well and that's we need we so so desperately need that connection and as you can tell from my flat hair I decided <laughs> to sleep in I just figured I'd stay out of the light as much as possible you know and that you guys would deal with it because uh, um, I, I told you there's a commercial where I think it's a makeup commercial where uh, an attractive woman's silver hair says, you know, um, I hear there's uh, an age where women no longer care about how they look. I wonder when that is. <laughs> and I thought, for me, that was this morning. <laughs> I wanted a nice shiny brain instead of a nice shiny hair, and the sleep helped. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, it, do you find that uh, that telling their story? changes some of the people you you work with uh, I mean you know does it affect how you live in the world um, it does it, it connects you to other people it makes you not feel so isolated um, it reveals yourself to yourself um, um, you can find the humor more quickly more easily um, we're we're all living alone we're on our screens in our little homes we don't know our neighbors anymore um, sharing story um, even if you're standing in the line at stop and shop or if you're um, if you're at the thrift shop I, I don't know for, for me I, I make an effort to make eye contact mm -hmm. which some people find uncomfortable um, but I, I, I in the past I've challenged I've challenged my listeners um, who come to see my shows go get, get out there and make eye contact with every single person you meet Maybe maybe say something. Maybe say hello. Maybe say good day. Hey, mm -hmm. I, I I like your not shiny hair, Gwen. <laughs> but there's there's um there are so many opportunities to unisolate ourselves and um, sharing the story. And if, if that's even a conversation with a stranger at CVS, um, that's progress. It. Um you know, and, and you have a specific story that you're sharing, that you were sharing when you started. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you know, I think if I'm reading you right, uh, you, you mean any story, you know. The, oh, any story. My cancer story. The story of being human. Was, was a metaphor um, mm -hmm. for anyone's crappy time. So. My cancer was someone else's divorce, was you're losing your husband, was was someone getting a bad grade I don't know we're all we're all suffering at some level and we're all needing to hear that we're not alone we have a speaking of not being alone we have some comments coming in from Jane Reed Wilson uh, thank you for covering this topic and for remembering human humor as an important part of the treatment oh. Oh. so it's a huge part a huge part if you can't laugh it about it and find the humor you miss all that time if you can't but it's um if if you're out there and you'd like to share something with uh myself and christine please feel free to write it in now or if you have a question for christine uh feel free to let us know right on facebook live you can uh, send those comments in and uh, we will get to all of them that we can now it's interesting because we we're talking
we are studying our navels today. We are talking about life, you know, about mm. being human. It's not a particular um, upcoming event or anything, although I am hoping to be doing life again tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you know, hopefully nothing will happen because that would be really weird. <laughs> but um, but this is just sort of a, amusing a little bit on, on how finding the words to share can make a difference, whether you... Um, whether you write those words down and, and uh, win a Nobel someday. Mm -hmm. uh, there is one for literature now, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and um, always has been. I didn't mean new. But, um, okay, and we have another comment. So I should read these before I read them out. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is from Karen Watkins. Uh, she's a regular follower and a friend of mine. And she said the most important stories happen in line at the supermarket mm -hmm. uh, or the uh, other uh, uh, ought to be mundane times. Yes. Okay. I don't quite understand Indeed. that, but oh. I think it's a, a vote of your line there. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, um, tell me a little bit about uh, about whether you were always like this. Did you grow up being the, the cut up and the, the oh. talker? No, I had a terrible stutter as a child, which lingers occasionally. And, um, and I struggled to be understood. Um, so when I was, I don't know, eight or nine, I decided that I would be a writer in order to be clearly um, understood. And um and I and I wrote I learned to write I think like a surgeon and I learned to be a real uh, an observer, um and it, I I took great pains to be specific and clear and articulate, so I was a, a voracious reader. Um, I didn't start performing until I was in high school when I began to sing and didn't stutter when I sang, um, and that morphed into a different kind of performing life. I did a lot of musical theater. Um, I sang a lot. I gained confidence. You still do some things down here. I, um, do. I didn't see it, but I heard about the uh, Land of Liberty with the symphony. Oh, Tell us oh, about that. That was magnificent. Um, we did um, uh, uh, a collaboration with the symphony, Couture Center for the Arts. When, when was that? In September. Okay. And, um, it was uh, Ellis Island. It was stories, stories immigrant, immigrant stories of Ellis Island. And there were seven different immigrant stories from the 1800s and uh, the, the turn of the last century. And at the very end, Lady Liberty comes out and reads the Emma Lazarus poem. Oh. So I got to, I was, I'm tall and I'm mm. loud. So um, I wore linen-y layers in my tallest shoes. And I got to come out on that stage with the symphony behind me and read and speak. Um, give me your tired, your poor. Oh, it was magnificent. It was it was so stirring. I mean, for it was an opportunity for me as a performer and a speaker to read that beautiful poem about welcome and our beacon of welcome. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled you masses, your need to be free. <laughs> I, at the end, I, I raised my I did raise my arm, um, and then we turned to a beautiful image on the screen of Lady Liberty. It was magnificent. It was really really profound. I so enjoyed that. That that sounds wonderful. It uh, it's very interesting to watch the symphony with its collaborations. Oh, he just did the Wizard of Oz. That I saw that. Delightful. That was wonderful. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's nice to to see those mixes, uh, especially because uh, I think it sometimes draws a wider, a different audience than mm -hmm. than uh, the symphony might with its more traditional uh, concerts. Mm -hmm. So, um, but. Uh, 
in fact, uh, I think we're having Young Hope Hawk on, the conductor, oh, uh, a little bit later in the, in the spring to oh. talk about those collaborations and other things that the symphony are doing. I guess next weekend, it's uh, no conductor. He's away. They're going to do a concert without him. Oh, oh my. Very interesting. You can check out um, Cape Week. We have a story on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of stories, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, I, I did feel drawn to you, Christine, because... Um, Obviously, our work is also involving stories and, and what's going on, particularly in the features department. We do stories about people's lives and, and what, they're, what they're up to. Tell me about someone you've met, either in the course of a show or by going to the grocery store, that, that really moved you. Have, have you. Do you find yourself falling into situations? Oh, all the time, all the time. Um, my, my favorite story is, um, well, for me personally, when I was... I was sick and I was in the stop and shop in front of the yogurts and a woman um, her, pulled her cart up next to mine and she put her hand on my arm. I was bald and I was clearly ill and she said, I had a haircut like yours once, eight years ago. And then she went off and did her shopping. And that was such a tremendous gift to me for someone to reach out to tell me, I'm, I'm right here with you, sister. <laughs> And she really boiled down the essence of oh. we're together, oh, yeah. you know, without telling you a lot about her life or anything I didn't else. I did to hear her medical history. I, I, I was living her story that she had lived eight years ago, and she was here to tell me that, that she was out of it eight years later. And that was so and bad. And now you're out me. of it 18 years later. And, and, and I, uh, I often do the same thing. Um, yeah. um, but uh, that, that sort of that radical approach, engaging in conversation with people who are staring at their phones or, or waiting for the line to get shorter or, um, I, I go to the St. Vincent de Paul thrift shop at least once a week, and um, some of my best material has happened there. And, and um, th one of my favorite stories that you tell is there, but it's the kind of thing where you have to hear the whole thing. <laughs> so I would uh, advise you to, to Google Christine, Christine Rathbun Ernst, and you can see a, a clip of that story. Yes, uh, on my website. Because... Um, because uh, we don't have time to tell the whole thing. And it's really one of those things that's kind of cumulative and you need the whole thing. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it seems also that, that people are through, through places like uh, The Moth, you know, NPR mm -hmm. story, and they just started one that's on TV as well. Mm -hmm. And weirdly, I don't like it quite as much on TV. Oh, uh -huh. I like the voice coming out of the darkness uh -huh. that might change your life. Driving in your car. Yeah, usually. Just listening to it. My other home. Yeah, it is, but it's also like a creative capsule, your car. That's where yeah. I do a lot of my writing. I used to commute a long, a long way for work. Just so we know whether to really avoid you. Oh. <laughs> uh, how does this work? Um, I'm left-handed, and, um, and if, if, you, if you're on a highway, as I used to commute to Fall River for my work, and, um, and I would write on a yellow legal pad on my left knee on the ride to work. I was so hoping you were going to tell me you were recording it on your iPhone. I hate, I hate the sound so. of my voice. <laughs> <laughs> With what you do, I don't know how you can. All right, let's see. Um, Lisa St. Dennis Smith is writing to us, and she says, Inspirational. Love that you have written a book about your experiences. Reminds me of Lindy Eldridge's book, uh, Squeeze My Tatas, uh, Women Empowering Women. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Lisa, for writing. Mm -hmm. So now <laughs> you haven't written, have you written a book? You haven't written um, a book, I published have you? A, I self-published a book um, called uh, Moving Pianos in Paradise, um, uh, which was about moving a piano and having the leg 
fall off, which was frightening, but funny, um, could have been tragic. Um, and um, that's still available, I think, on Amazon. And I'm, I've published a few pieces. Um, I'm working now to um, uh, working with someone to perhaps publish a larger collection. It's, it's a giant body of work. Um, this summer will be the ninth Fat Ass Cancer um, at Katuit Center for the Arts. I notice uh, you're there, and aren't there a couple of other locations? I think I'm, I saw the Wellfleet. I've been uh, on the road for a few years. Um, uh, Katuit, uh, July 15, 16. Uh, Wellfleet Preservation Hall, July 24, 25. Cultural Center for Cape Cod, August 2nd or 6th. And uh, CCTC, home of Harvey Senior Theater, on September 6th and 7th. And this is all on her uh, website, which is? ChristineErnstWriter.com. And so you don't have to remember, just look it up there, and you'll get to hear a lot of these stories, which, as I said, just totally blew me away when I saw your show the first time because it really expressed not only what you dealt with with cancer, it had pretty much, by that time, you were talking about parenting and oh, letting go aging, and aging worrying, parents. you know, unreasonably. Yeah, or <laughs> well, just the human condition. We are, so. I mean, the, my experience, my any struggle is a metaphor for yours. I know that uh, you you don't know this actually. I don't think. But uh, after you told your story about how you um, argued with yourself about the unreasonableness of um, thinking that your college aged daughter was missing because she wasn't exactly oh. where she was supposed oh to my be, God. Yes. Uh, I totally understood that. That's probably what brought me to a tear. Mm -hmm. um, well, I was, was sitting with a friend enjoying a glass of wine after the show at at Katuit, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, on the patio, and uh, a young woman came up and and said. Uh, um, hi, you know, and we didn't know her, but uh, she said, oh, yeah, I'm the one that was worried about. Uh, that's my mother <laughs> in there. <laughs> and uh, I, so we, we were all chatting, and she said, oh, don't get yet, go yet. My mother loves to meet people who have listened. So <laughs> anyway, um, so, and then you came out, so I, I met you briefly that way. But um, so that daughter is, is uh, doing fine. And she's, um, she's 24, living in Brooklyn, teaching at a great school, doing work of social justice and writing poetry and singing. She's doing work she's always dreamed of, and she got to it at the age of 24. It took me, took me a little longer, but um, she's she's some. Um, well, so, she had so you. Proud of her. Oh, I kept her safe. She was born with a mandate. <laughs> I kept her safe. And uh, you know, actually, we should mention that all of Christine's family is probably familiar to you if you go to the theater mm -hmm. on uh, Cape Cod because her husband Michael. Uh, and we're going to end with that story very quickly because okay. I love that story. <laughs> but um, her husband Michael is an actor, and her daughter was just in. Uh, Mary Poppins. In Mary Poppins at mm -hmm. to it and and I think you said she played uh, Jane Banks. Jane Banks. Jane Banks. So busted out some British accent. I said, where did that come from? She said Hermione. Oh right. <laughs> yes, we have all been changed by Harry Potter. But uh, I think that that we all like a romance. Uh, so why don't you tell us how you first kind of moved your friendship with your husband into something more? Oh, we'd been singing together for years, uh, Christmas caroling every year. And that particular night, we were all saying goodbye at two in the morning at the after party. And on impulse, I hugged him goodbye and then um, had an impulse like when you haven't seen your your pet or your child in a long time or when you see a beautiful baby, I just want to eat you up. That, that, that very uh, amygdala response. Um, you just want to sink your teeth into them. And I sank my teeth into um, Michael's clavicular fossa, the little space here between your shoulder and your neck. There's a name for it. And, and it's juicy. And I sunk my teeth right into that as I said goodbye to him. 
um, right through his sweater. And um, he started and he said, um, can I carry your music to the car? And he did. And uh, bravely, he moved in six months later. <laughs> All right. Well, Christine's got to say goodbye to you now, but I won't let her bite you unless you want her to. Um, we'll talk about that. You know, most people have a kissing booth. You'll have a biting booth. Um, bite someone's shoulder. You don't know what will happen. <laughs> what, we, what we do know will happen is that sharing your story will make you feel better and may help someone else. So um, reach out. Keep it in mind. You're brave. Do it. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.